Welcome to the Cancer Connect Workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from a panel of expert speakers. You will, we will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you so much, Michelle, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Workshop, New Trends in the Treatment of Thyroid Cancer. And we know this is a very important program for all of you who are on the call today. And we actually have a lot of you on the call today, um, and it's really because of um, our working with many um, organizations um, that some of them, many cancer organizations and many thyroid cancer specific organizations. And because of that, we have over 200 participants on the call today. You come from all over the United States, from both urban, rural, and suburban areas. And we also have international participants from Canada, India, Japan, Malaysia, Portugal, Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, and United Kingdom, so it's a bit of a global call as well. So we really want to thank you for spending this next hour with us. And today's program is supported by a contribution from Lilly, and I really want to thank them for supporting the program today. Now, before we actually introduce our very first speaker, um, we're going to ask just a few questions of you, and those questions will allow us to get a sense planning programs in the future um, it helps us to understand a little bit more about who you each are and what you know about the, the content of the program. So I'm going to start with the first question. And the first question is, I understand the treatment for thyroid cancer, including staging and diagnosing, in the context of COVID-19. It's either yes or no. And those of you who are live streaming will be able to see those questions. And the second question is, I comprehend the updates on the treatment options for thyroid cancer, yes or no? And the third question is, I know about the clinical trial updates for thyroid cancer in the context of COVID-19. Yes or no? And the next question is, I know the new treatment approaches for refractory thyroid cancer. Yes or no? The next question, next to last, is I understand how to manage treatment side effects, symptoms, discomfort, and pain, yes or no. And this is the last question in the series, the next one. I know about telehealth, telemedicine appointments, and the guidelines to prepare for these appointments, yes or no. So I want to thank you very much for participating in the polling with us. It really helps us to get a better sense 
of really um, what you know coming into the program. And uh, so that's really very helpful. Thank you. Thank you so much. And now I'm going to introduce our first speaker. And our first speaker um, is Dr. Jennifer Cracciolo. And Dr. Cracciolo is Assistant Attending Surgeon, Head and Neck Service, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, Assistant Professor of Otolaryngology, Head and Neck Surgery, while Cornell Medical College. And Dr. Cracciolo will be addressing overview of thyroid cancer in the context of COVID-19, diagnosis and staging, updates on the treatment options, including clinical trial updates, and questions to ask your healthcare team about your quality of life concerns. It's really now my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Cracciolo. Thank you so much, Dr. Messner. I really appreciate the invitation and having me back to discuss the treatment of thyroid cancer. And while there has not been significant changes in how we treat thyroid cancer, we're treating it in a different environment. And the effect of COVID-19 on thyroid cancer treatment is really about balancing the time of cancer treatment against the risk of being exposed to COVID-19. And so as I go through all of the uh, diagnosis, as well as workup and treatment for thyroid cancer, I'll be talking about how some things have changed in the COVID-19 world. I'd start out by saying that thyroid cancer is one of the most treatable cancers in the head and neck, and this is reflected through our staging system. For example, people diagnosed with thyroid cancer under the age of 55 are all considered stage one, unless it travels outside the head and neck, which is extremely rare. The specifics of staging are based on the tumor uh, size, if the tumor extends outside the thyroid, and if there are lymph nodes involved. There are three ways that thyroid cancers are found. This usually begins with identifying a nodule. Nodules are masses in the thyroid and may or may not be a cancer. And nodules are very common, but most of them are not cancer. Nodules are typically found in three ways. One of the most common ways is incidentally found. For example, someone has an MRI for spine, uh, cervical spine disc, and a thyroid nodule is identified. A second way is it's palpated by a doctor during physical exam. In a much more common way of finding it is the person develops symptoms such as voice change, hoarseness, difficulty swallowing, but most thyroid cancers and nodules are completely asymptomatic. It's really unclear how COVID-19 will impact the finding of thyroid cancer, given that many of these are found incidentally um, and many people are not able to get to the doctor as readily as they had in the past. Additionally, telemedicine visits um, are, are a little bit of a different physical exam, and therefore are we identifying these nodules uh, as much as we would. We know that the more that we look, the more thyroid cancers uh, will find, and therefore it's unclear how the current COVID-19 era will affect the diagnosis of thyroid cancers, but one could hypothesize that it would decrease the finding of thyroid cancer, but that's yet to be, um, yet to be known. When a nodule is found on a scan or palpated, the first thing I recommend is a thyroid ultrasound. It's really important when people come to see me and they've got an MRI, and the MRI says a one, one, um, one centimeter thyroid no nodule was found, and then we get an ultrasound. Often the measurements will be different. People become worried because it was one centimeter on the MRI, but 1.5 centimeters on the ultrasound. It's not, uh, it's not right to compare between studies. 
the thyroid ultrasound is really the gold standard for imaging the thyroid. And for two reasons. It shows us the architecture of the thyroid in relationship to the um, the nodule itself, which is helpful for diagnosis, and it tells us if it needs a fine needle aspiration based on those findings. And so by ATA guidelines, nodules under one centimeter do not need to be biopsied. Also, low suspicion nodules, such as ones that look like they're spongiform, for example, on ultrasound also are not recommended to be biopsied. Uh, up to about two centimeters. And so it's important to use your thyroid ultrasound to see if there's an FNA even indicated. We don't want to over-biopsy thyroid nodules. The biopsies are often done by a cytologist or a radiologist, and then the diagnosis is made by a cytologist. When they see the cells under the microscope, they rank them one to six. So one means not enough cells in a specimen, two means benign, six means cancer. The other numbers, 3, 4, 5, represent the chance of cancer uh, by looking at the cells. And that's 15% for number 3, 40% for number 4, and about 75% for number 5. And those are you know, um, general numbers. And so for patients with 5 or 6, we often will recommend surgery. Something that's really changed how we manage thyroid nodules and the diagnosis of thyroid cancers is the use of molecular testing. So as I said, in those percentage ranges, we're often able to get more information with molecular testing, not what the cells look like, but what they're actually made of. And that information allows us to take those percentages and either bring them down toward the benign range or up more toward a malignancy. The, the actual mutation itself does not dictate how we treat the cancer, but it's very helpful for diagnosis. There are four main types of thyroid cancer. Papillary thyroid cancer is the most common, follicular carcinoma, medullary thyroid cancer, and anaplastic. Everything I'm talking about today is really for papillary thyroid cancer. Once the person has a diagnosis of thyroid cancer, most of the time surgery is recommended. However, there are certain patients with tumors less than one centimeter, which are biopsied, and we had discussed how usually these shouldn't be biopsied um, if they're less than one centimeter, but we do occasionally see someone with a very small nodule. It's listed as a papillary thyroid cancer, and we have an active surveillance program where patients are watched rather than go forward with surgery. And this is done by looking at ultrasounds every six months and then going to surgery is based on if there's growth. And this is for people, again, with very small tumors in the location of the thyroid that's favorable, and we often um, are people that might not be good candidates for surgery. And so uh, that is, while an option, often surgery is the most common treatment. And so really what I talk about with my patients is what's the right extent of surgery? And I really take into consideration uh, four different things. So let's say we have a 2.5-centimeter nodule in the right thyroid lobe. The first thing I want to know is what's going on in the left side. What's the status of the contralateral thyroid lobe? If there's nodules on that side, we need to look at those. Are they low risk or high risk and consider that? Is the nodule within the thyroid or is extending outside the thyroid gland? In tumors that extend outside the thyroid gland, I'd more likely consider a total thyroidectomy. If there are lymph nodes 
we talk about total thyroidectomy and also what's the status of the thyroid function. So if the thyroid is not functioning well, then a total thyroidectomy um, might be indicated. And so in an isolated nodule where there's no lymph nodes, it's completely within the thyroid, I often recommend a lobectomy. And this is the most common treatment in my practice. The benefits of lobectomy uh, include that you make your own thyroid hormone and that there's no risk of hypocalcemia. For patients with tumors that are greater than four centimeters, they extend outside the thyroid. Lymph nodes are seen and biopsied uh, and found to be associated with cancer. We recommend total thyroidectomy and removal of the lymph nodes. Before any surgeries in the current COVID era, we, are, we test all patients, uh, in, at least in my hospital, to um, confirm that they're not positive for COVID before the surgery, and this is for the protection of other patients as well as the patients. For um, lymph nodes, we look at lymph nodes as either the ones around the thyroid, which is called the central compartment, or the ones that are outside the thyroid. And so it's important to look at these two areas because the operations are somewhat different, and it's really important to know the extent of the lymph node burden in order to make sure we remove all of those during the first surgery. After surgery, uh, most patients are followed by an endocrinologist. Not all people need radioactive iodine, but some people need radioactive iodine. Radioactive iodine is something that's done after surgery and after the thyroid has been removed, and we use that for patients with lymph nodes as well as um, patients with aggressive pathologic findings, such as extrathyroidal extension or numerous lymph nodes. This is managed by our endocrinologist, and this is done usually a few months after surgery. But again, as I would say, not all people with thyroid cancer need radioactive iodine, and in fact, um, uh, very few in, in when we're doing mostly lobectomies. Once uh, treated, the prognosis for thyroid cancer is excellent, and there's surveillance. How things are followed is they're done with ultrasound in labs, and what we're looking for is a structural recurrence, meaning does the tumor, can you see it? Has the tumor come back, um, which is very unlikely, which is done with ultrasound, and also biochemical recurrence, which means looking at lab work to see if there's any cells or if there's any uh, measurements in the body or thyroglobulin that would suggest that there's cancer cells somewhere else. The thyroglobulin is followed, the ultrasounds are followed, and that is done for a period of time after treatment. External beam radiation and chemotherapy is very uncommonly used for thyroid cancers, but can be used for very aggressive thyroid cancers, which is the minority of thyroid cancers. Quality of life after thyroid uh, after treatment for thyroid cancer is quite good. The most common parts um, of treatment that can affect quality of life is low calcium or hoarseness, which is related to vocal cord nerve involvement. And sometimes it takes a while to adjust to thyroid replacement hormone if a total thyroidectomy was done. And people sometimes will complain of fatigue, weight gain, not feeling like myself, but usually this improves after adjusting the medication with the endocrine doctor. And so thank you again for inviting me uh, to discuss this, and I'll turn it back over to Dr. Messner. 
Oh, well, thank you so much, Dr. Carpiello. That was really excellent, wonderful presentation, a wonderful way to start the program off with really setting the stage for the program and giving such vital information. So thank you. I know there will be questions for you as well during the Q&A. And our next speaker is Dr. Christoph Misikowicz, and Dr. Misikowicz is Associate Professor of Medicine, Hematology and Medical Oncology, Assistant Professor of Oberolaryngology, ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai Hospital. And Dr. Misikowicz will be addressing new treatment approaches for refractory thyroid cancer in the context of COVID-19, managing treatment side effects, symptoms, discomfort, and pain, the importance of communicating with your healthcare team, key questions to ask, and the role of telehealth, telemedicine appointments, including technology and making your list of questions. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Misikowicz. Uh, so thank you very much, Dr. Mestre, and thank you for inviting me to these excellent uh, uh, events and the presentations. Uh, I'm very happy to be here, not for the, first, for the first time, and I'm really happy because, as I remember, 10, 15 years ago, there was no treatment that I could offer as a medical oncologist to thyroid cancer patients, and now there are so many, and obviously we're going to be discussing them. But because the main topic is to treatment of thyroid cancer in settings of COVID-19 epidemic, and I'm going to be walking you through this. So one thing in mind, uh, when we think about COVID, let's call it a situation, you as a patient, you can have two types of situations that you're going to be puzzled about what to do and how to manage your thyroid cancer treatment in those settings. So the first situation is, uh, obviously, it's a little bit more pessimistic or maybe more sad that you can catch the infection. And the question is, what should I do if, God forbid, I'm in a situation that I acquired the infection, and what, what should I do when I'm in the hospital with this infection, and how it's going to influence the treatment of my thyroid cancer? So this is the first situation. And the second situation is, what should I do if I'm going to be offered to get a COVID-19 vaccine? When I'm being treated, if there is an impact on this. And as we're going to be going through this, I will try my best to answer those questions. But at the same time, I have to say that each situation is unique, and I would strongly encourage you to ask your medical oncologist or endocrinologist or any doctor to kind of ask them what they think that you should do when you're going to be in one of those situations. So when we think about medical oncologists, treating thyroid cancer, most of the time we are involved if the iodine and the surgery unfortunately didn't work and the cancer unfortunately keeps coming back. So we are referring to the cancer that we called it the iodine refractory, meaning that the iodine was tried and unfortunately was not able to eliminate the cancer. This is most of the time when the medical oncologists are seeing those patients. It's not very often, but it does happen. So having this in mind, we as a medical oncologist, we have three kind of types of weapons that we can use when we treat the cancer. I'm just saying the cancer, not the thyroid cancer. The first weapon that we have is the chemotherapy. Nowadays, we don't use chemotherapy as often. This is quite the worst situation that we use chemotherapy in the treatment of the thyroid cancer, but we know that chemotherapy can suppress your immune system. So consequently, you may think that if you're going to have the infection, your immune system shouldn't be suppressed. So probably if somebody is in the hospital or somebody has any kind of infection, this is the moment 
that giving chemotherapy can, can be dangerous, but at the same time, I want to say that the chemotherapy is not a common treatment that we use in the treatment of the thyroid cancer. So this is a good thing. The second type of weapon that we have when we treat any kind of cancer is called immunotherapy. Immunotherapy stimulates your immune system. So you may think, whoa, this is the best treatment. But at the same time, what we know about the COVID-19 infection, that many complications or many problems that people they have when they have a COVID-19 infection is, is not from the infection itself, but it's from the human body response, meaning the human body, when it's fighting with the infection, when the immune system is turned on, in addition to killing the virus, the immune system is killing or damaging your own body. And the damage can be so bad that sometimes it may lead to a very, very dangerous situation. So actually, one of the treatments of the COVID-19 uh, infection is to suppress the immune system. But this is obviously reserved for the hospital patient that it has to be done by the experienced physician. But the good thing is immunotherapy, as of now, is not the type of treatment that we use in the treatment of the thyroid cancer. So what is left? As of now, we use what we call the targeted therapy. So what is the targeted therapy in the treatment of the thyroid cancer? So target ter targeted therapy is that we're targeting the cancer without targeting any other tissue. So it's sort of like a magic bullet. Magic bullet because we want to deliver this bullet only to the cancer and not hurt any other part of your body. And this is targeted therapy. And targeted therapy in thyroid cancer, this is oral treatment. The good thing about this treatment, that even though there is a tiny chance that it can suppress the immune system, but it's not as bad as from chemotherapy. So this is what I would say. Probably the targeted therapy will not affect the immune system as much to make it dangerous, but people in addition to thyroid cancer may have other medical problems that can be suppressing immune system or the immune system can be weak. So this rule doesn't apply to all the patients and each situation is unique. And I would say that you should talk to your medical oncologist or any doctor to ask whether when you have the COVID-19 uh, infection, whether it's going to be safe for you to continue such a treatment. So let's say if you are in the hospital, and let's say you have the infection and you kind of puzzle, what should I do? So I would say if you're in the hospital, I think it should be safe not to stop, but to hold the treatment for the time when you're in the hospital to make sure that the immune system is fully functional, to make sure there is no any other complication from those medications that we give for thyroid cancer. And then once you discharge from the hospital, I think it should be, once you're fully functional, to resume those treatments. But again, I will encourage you to ask your medical oncologist. The second situation is the vaccine. So obviously, I can proudly say that I just received my second dose a few days ago, so I'm almost fully vaccinated. So I got the second and the final dose and I'm feeling fine. So I feel protected. And I'm, I would encourage you to consider this vaccine. But if you're in a situation that you are considering getting this vaccine, this is what I would say. If the chemotherapy or immunotherapy is used, they would, I would strongly consider asking your medical oncologist because you wanna make sure when you're getting those vaccines, 
that your immune system will create this response, immunity, and if your immune system will be suppressed by the chemotherapy, maybe you're not going to get the benefit of the vaccine. If you are on a treatment, which is mostly tablets or pills for thyroid cancer, and your immune system can be easily evaluated by your primary physician with the basic blood work, and your immune system is pretty strong, I would say you should consider getting the vaccine. If you, your immune system is weak, it's going to be up to the doctor's discretion. If you are in the situation that you're about to start the new treatment, then I would say you have to consider two scenarios. You're either going to wait with your treatment and first get the COVID vaccine, or you're going to, you're going to start the treatment, see how it's going to affect the immune system, and get the COVID vaccine later on. So this is, how I would say, how we would handle the COVID vaccine or COVID infection in the settings of iron refractory thyroid cancer. But at the same time, I want to cover some of, of the treatments. So as I mentioned, historically, we used to use chemotherapy in treatment of thyroid cancer. Right now, we use targeted therapy. In the past, we only had few agents that we used. One was called serafinib. The second one was linvatinib. We call them a targeted therapy. They're very effective. They have some challenges, and sometimes they can cause fatigue, poor appetite, uh, muscle pain, and joint pain. But I wouldn't be discouraged if you develop those, because this is what happens with my patients. When they come in, I start the treatment. I tell them that those things can be happening. And what uh, can be done about it, there are two things. We can try to dose reduce you just to find the dose that's going to be high enough to treat the cancer, but it's going to be low enough that you're not going to develop those symptoms or they're going to be tolerable. So there is always a way to find kind of a compromise between the complaint that you may have or something that affects the quality of your life, but at the same time getting an effective treatment. But it cannot be done on your own. You should always consult it with your physician to make sure that it's done in the safe environment. So... I'm also excited because the first two treatments that I mentioned, serafin and lenvatinib, can be given to any patient with well-differentiated thyroid cancer. We call it DTC. But at the same time, recently, we found a new treatment. Those new treatments are based on the presence of the mutation. And I'm going to use the metaphoric explanation, sort of like a lock and the key. If you're going to imagine that the cancer is like your house, and there is a lock. There is a door and there is a lock. And you're trying to turn it off. And this lock is a mutation. So what we do, we check what kind of mutation, what kind of lock your cancer has. And we're going to try to match it with a perfect key. But there are a few situations. There is a possibility that your cancer has no lock. And I can be standing all day long with my key outside and this key will do nothing. So this situation is not applicable to you. So sometimes we may find a cancer, there is no locks or no mutation. There is a situation that your cancer may have a lock, but I don't have a key for this lock. And it's sort of like asking me with my key coming to your house and opening your door is not going to do nothing. It has to be a perfect match. And obviously there is a third situation that we're going to find a lock, we're going to find a mutation, and it can be matched with a perfect fit. And I'm going to give you a few examples. 
So actually, in 2018, there was a first drug that was approved based on the mutation. And even though those names are going to sound very strange, but I think you're going to find analogy in this. So for example, the mutation is called NTRK, N-T-R-K. So if you have a mutation called NTRK, you can use the NTRK inhibitor. So NTRK, NTRK inhibitor. And inhibiting meaning stopping something. So many times if you have those mutations, we can use those drugs. So the first one, Vitraxi, was improved in 2018. And the benefit of this treatment is it's a perfect match. B, it's very powerful, but powerful in terms of shrinking the cancer. But at the same time, it doesn't have as many side effects as other treatments. So this is a very, very good way, obviously, to treat those patients. And actually, we have another NTRAC inhibitor that was approved in 2019. So you see, it's, there is a progress being made as we speak when it comes to those treatments. For example, there is another mutation. It's called RET. And RET mutation we see in medullary thyroid cancer, different ones, but also in differentiated thyroid cancer. And as you can imagine, RET mutations can be treated with RET inhibitors. And actually, last year, we had two of them being approved by FDA. The first one is Retevmo, was approved in May of 2020. And in December, just last month, there was Gavredo, another drug, RET inhibitor, that was just approved. So as you see, that the science is moving forward. And I can even tell you a funny situation. I asked for this drug to be given to my patient. I called the insurance company and they said, this drug is not approved by FDA. And I said, you're wrong. Five days ago, it was just approved. And I got this drug for this patient. So you have to make sure that not only you may inform your doctor or maybe even you pay your insurance to make sure that you're going to get this medication. And again, the benefit of those treatments is that this is a very powerful way to treat those cancers. They can shrink cancer very often but at the same time as at the minimal toxicity. In order to find out if you have a mutation, you need to have a genetic testing done. And you can say, okay, so what do I have to do? So whenever any biopsy or surgery on your cancer was done, meaning there was some kind of a part of the cancer, a tissue that was removed, and many times the pathology department of the hospital has this tissue, we have to store it, we don't put it to the garbage. We don't dispose this. We just have to store it for a certain amount of time. And this tissue can be used for genetic testing, meaning you may not need any other biopsy. You may not need any other blood work. Sometimes, yes, but most of the time don't because we as doctors, we have your tissue already. And this tissue can be used for this testing, and it's going to give you the information. Recently, another new treatment that was just discovered or tested. All those medications that I mentioned so far are given to patients that were just diagnosed with iodine refractory cancer. So we start those medications. And maybe some of you already taking these medications, maybe some of you about to start those medications. But there is always a question, if I'm going to be on this medicine for how long is it going to work and what's going to happen next? And as of now, if we're going to go to FDA and approvals, we don't have what we call it a second-line treatment, what we can use if the first treatment does not work. And actually, recently there was a study called COSMIC 311, and when the study is being done or is underway, 
there's something called interim analysis. And the interim analysis, the purpose of this meeting is there is a committee of people that have to decide if this study looks bad and it should be stopped for safety reasons, or this study is so good that it should be stopped because we don't have to continue. We already know the treatment's going to work. And actually such interim analysis was done. And the results are so promising that the company probably will file to the FDA for the approval. And what was the study? They took patients that they received already the treatment for thyroid cancer, for iron refractive thyroid cancer, and unfortunately this treatment is not working anymore. And the drug that they use is called cabozapnib. And it looks like this treatment is working, it's effective. So I'm excited because there is a possibility that we will have a second-line treatment for thyroid cancer. And obviously, there are probably like 50 or 100 clinical trials that we have currently ongoing, obviously testing many hypotheses. And something that I have to say is that, as I mentioned to you, that many of those drugs were approved by FDA last year, and the study is ongoing. And maybe some of you were part of the study, and maybe some of you were part of the study when the COVID vaccine happened, COVID vaccine, COVID epidemic. So meaning that... You, the decision was made to continue, and thanks to you, we have those results. So I would say always look for clinical trials too. Ask your physician, because you may be part of an amazing journey with the new promising drug or any treatment strategy that maybe is better than we currently we have. And if you're really interested, A, you can ask your physician. B, what you can do, you can go to clinicaltrials.gov and you can type the name of your cancer. It doesn't matter where you are because you can search by your location, meaning you can just look if there's any clinical trial in Korea. You can look if there's any clinical trial in Europe, or you can even look if there's any clinical trial in California. And then you're going to have the list of those, and then you can just decide if you want to be part of this. So I would strongly encourage you to do so. So this is about new treatment that kind of happened within the last year. Um, those are the kind of the dilemmas that you may have in the settings of COVID vaccine. I would strongly encourage you to discuss with your physician uh, the vaccine if you're eligible. Obviously, depending on your location, uh, it varies from Europe to United States and obviously in your age group and comorbidities. I would say consider. And if you think this is something that you want to do and you have the doctor's approval, please do it because you can obviously protect yourself. And I just protected myself too. So thank you very much for inviting me into this panel. I hope that you're all going to stay safe and don't forget about wearing the mask regardless. So protect yourself, wash your hands, make sure that you're safe, and make sure that you're healthy. And obviously I'm going to do it too. Thank you very much for your attention. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Misikowitz. That was really excellent. A lot of good information for everybody, important information, and a lot of new treatments as well that people are hearing about. So I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A. Thank you. And our next speaker is Ms. Diana Bearden, and Ms. Bearden is an oncology dietitian at the Michael E. DeBakey VA Medical Center, and Ms. Bearden will be addressing nutrition and hydration concerns and tips. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Bearden. Thank you so much, Carolyn. I'm excited to be part of today's presentation addressing the nutritional concerns in the presence of thyroid cancer. 
Um, nutrition and hydration are absolutely essential in your tolerance to treatment and providing you the energy to do the things you enjoy. Your diet might be modified um, during and even after your cancer treatment just based on your own personal um, response to treatment and managing some of your side effects. Some of the potential side effects that can influence and impact your intake um, include things like dry mouth, difficulty swallowing, pain with swallowing, fatigue, um, weight changes, um, changes in taste, and decrease in appetite. During your course of treatment, um, your nutritional needs can actually increase. Um, there might be a need to increase your fluid intake or your protein intake um, or your calorie intake or maybe all three of those. If in the event you're not able to meet your nutritional needs, um, it can result in a delay in treatment. Um, a dietitian is part of your medical care team. So if um, you're in communication with your healthcare team and you want information, um, then you can always ask to speak with a dietitian. Um, the dietitian can give you specific information on your unique calorie and protein and fluid needs and information on diet modification. Um, like I said, during your, your treatment, even after your treatment, there might be some changes that would need to be made to your diet so that you can get in the nutrition that you need. So for example, if you're having trouble with eating, um, it might initially be modifying the texture of your foods, um, and that would be helpful. So changing to foods that are very soft, very moist, um, and focusing on those that are high in calories and protein. Some examples of these would be things like tuna salad, egg salad, chicken salad, bringing in some Greek yogurt, scrambled eggs, cottage cheese, just to name a few examples. Um, if the food is dry or hard, it can become more uncomfortable with swallowing. And so it's really important to be mindful um, of just making some of those changes um, and that may help with the comfort level. It can be later on in your treatment that you even need to modify your diet more. And a lot of this is a result of the pain with swallowing. And so um, pureeing your foods might be something to think about and try to see if it's um, tolerated a bit better. You don't have to buy an expensive blender to do this. You can use a, a, a regular blender um, one that purees food, or you can use a good food processor. Um, but what I tell patients is there's such a stigma with pureed foods or blended foods, and there doesn't need to be. Um, what I encourage folks to do is prepare your foods like you normally do, um, ensuring that they're very moist when you're cooking them, and then take that prepared food like you normally would set, put it on your plate, put it in the, the blender or the food processor, and get it to the texture that's good for you, that's best for you. In order to help retain a lot of the flavor, do not try to water it down with water. Rather use veggie stock, chicken stock, or beef stock. It's gonna give a more robust flavor and help hold on to that, um, that flavor that you're looking for when you go to eat the food. There is a potential that your team may talk with you about a feeding tube, and this all just depends on your unique situation. This is usually a short-term kind of bridge um, to help you meet those nutritional goals and hydration goals that you need while you're going through treatment. 
if you're going to be receiving radiation, sometimes the side effects can last beyond the radiation by a few weeks. So the feeding tube might be helpful in bridging that time as well to give you the, the protein and calories you need to heal. Remember this, even if you are overweight, you can still become malnourished. Being overweight is, is something that our society um, has misinformed patients about when it comes to healthcare and your treatment during healthcare. Um, what happens is when you lose weight, when you are dealing with cancer and going through treatment, it's usually lean muscle mass. There is a healthy way to lose weight while you are going through treatment, but work with your healthcare team to do that appropriately. So when you're um, having challenges, please write down those issues. Talk with your healthcare team as soon as possible, especially when it comes to pain. Um, pain with swallowing, pain with eating, pain with staying hydrated. There are medications they can give you. They can give you elixirs to swallow to help numb your throat before you go to eat, which can make a very big difference. And um, they don't make you feel loopy or anything. They just help numb that area so that you can eat and stay hydrated. Maintaining hydration is absolutely essential. And dehydration can not only make you have more nausea and fatigue, but it can make you feel dizzy and lightheaded. Ideally, what we generally need, and most people, are eight to 10 eight-ounce glasses of fluid a day, so that's about 80 ounces. But with certain treatment, you do require more hydration. In closing, there are several members of your healthcare team dedicated to helping you through this time. Please reach out to them and utilize them as your resources. Um, with that, I'm going to close, and thank you, Carolyn, for allowing me to be part of today's workshop. I'm going to pass the line back over to you. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Pruden. That was excellent, very informative, and always really um, gives people all sorts of tips in terms of, um, of, of eating hints, and we really appreciate that, and hydration as well, so very important. And I'm going to do a brief review um, of Cancer Care Services. I'm Carolyn Messner. I'm Director of Education and Training with Cancer Care. And um, I'm just going to go with you some of the brief services that we offer at Cancer Care, um, some of those free services that you can access. Um, really, many of you will access the services by calling our 800 line, 1-800-813-4673, or we'll go to our website at www.cancercare.org. Either way, one of our oncology social workers will be in touch with you to, to really help you um, with the questions you have. So just to begin with the number of services we offer, um, we offer a lot of different types of services, and the services are provided by trained master's level oncology social workers. We offer practical and financial assistance, and we also do have a co-payment assistance program. So we recognize that there are very many, many practical issues that many of you are coping with right now, more so than ever before, and that you do need our help with that. We also have instituted a case management service in which we, um, our oncology social workers, will really help you to really find, if we don't have the resource you need, to really help you find those resources. And they will actually spend time with you, actually um, with connecting you, and not just giving you a list of names and phone numbers, but they'll actually connect you together and be sure that you get those needs met. And if they're not, we'll come up with something else. So it's a really um, an important service, particularly at this point in time as well but it'll be continuous for us. We do offer online support groups. 
And we also have, of course, these education workshops, and of course, we have um, um, publications as well, so that there's a host of services that we offer that you can access, and fact sheets. So that, um, and at the end of today's program, you'll be getting a survey monkey evaluation um, in which we will include any of the resources we offered today, any information we've given you, any things we think would be useful to you as well. Now, before we move on to the Q&A, I just want to actually um, uh, go back and just ask you just a few more uh, questions um, to see what uh, your experience has been on the call today in terms of what you've learned. So if you can, again, I'm going to, you're going to, those of you who are live streaming will be able to see the questions and we'd just like to have your feedback on them. So the first question is, as a result of this workshop, I have a better understanding of the treatment for thyroid cancer in the context of COVID-19. And a yes or no. So if you could just respond to that. Um, uh, first question. And the next question is, as a result of this workshop, I have a greater confidence to discuss with my doctor the diagnosis and staging of thyroid cancer, yes or no. And the next question is, as a result of this workshop, I plan to take advantage of the treatment options for thyroid cancer, yes or no. Just a few more questions left and then we'll go right to the Q&A. Um, our next question is, as a result of this workshop, I am more willing to take part in the new treatment approaches for refractory thyroid cancer, yes or no? Two more. This next question. As a result of this workshop, I feel more confident in managing treatment side effects, symptoms, discomfort, and pain, yes or no? And the last question, as a result of this workshop, I feel more confident in utilizing telehealth, telemedicine appointments because of the guidelines presented on how to prepare for these appointments, yes or no. Okay, well, I want to thank you very much for your participating in this, uh, in these answering these, addressing these questions. And now we have time for the Q&A. I'm going to ask uh, Michelle to bring all of our speakers on board and Michelle will explain to you how to cure up for questions. We're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. So Michelle. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then one on your touchtone phone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking ask a question. Again, ladies and gentlemen, to ask a question, please press star, then one. And so we have some questions for, for online participants. Um, and uh, so this is an interesting question. Um, this one is for 
of Dr. Krakiolo. Do you know if there is any form of iodine in the in, in the COVID vaccine manufacturing process? I'm not. I do not know the answer to that. Okay. And Dr. Sikowitz, do you? No, I'm not aware of any. Any. Okay. So that's an excellent question. We do recommend that so our speakers are not aware of this, but it would be good to ask your health, your treating healthcare team this question and also um, for them to help you with that. That's a, an excellent question to, to ask. Um, um, you know, any question about the vaccine is welcome. Um, I know that many people have questions about the vaccine itself, and so it is a good thing to ask those questions so you can um, decide, then, then a recommendation can be made by your treating healthcare team. And um, and then a question for Dr. Masikowitz, hoping to hear how to cope with the damage done to salivary glands, teeth, tear ducts from a radiation treatment. It is a good question. So uh, the ra radiation is not really the common method. I'm not saying that we don't do it, that we use in treatment of thyroid cancer. Uh, it's not one of the, uh, the things that we do uh, very often, but it does happen. So I have a good news and kind of a bad news. Um, and obviously, we don't have any good effective treatment to restore the salivary gland damage. Uh, I personally, I have many patients, they try different things. They try zinc lozenges, they try chewing gums, or some uh, products such as toothpaste and mouthwashes. Uh, that they help with the, uh, with the saliva. There is one medication that it is approved for salivary gland damage, it's Evemelin. Uh The contraindication of using this medication is glaucoma, so I would ask, obviously, you to you know, uh, discuss it with your uh, medical oncologist or doctor, uh, but unfortunately, those treatments are not as effective as we think. But obviously, I would encourage you to try chewing gums, zinc lozenges, anything that's going to kind of stimulate your salivary gland, even if it was damaged, to produce as much. It's sort of like a sending a salivary gland to the gym, and you're going to try to make it work. So this is how you can do it. Excellent. And um, thank you very much. Um, Ms. Baird, do you want to comment on that as well, in terms of the salivary gland the, um, hydration issue? Yeah, so the hydration won't really impact the damage from the salivary glands. We at the VA have had um, some patients find a little bit of relief using acupuncture. Um, so we do offer that, um, offer that to patients to try. Um, but really, um, there's not a lot of reversal from the damage. It's just more about kind of modifying and finding a substitute. So the artificial saliva is something a lot of patients use um, and do find some comfort with that and keeping their mouth moist. But most of what I hear from patients is they just end up sipping on water pretty much throughout the day. Mm -hmm. So drinking, keeping lots of water. Um, okay. Yeah, Excellent. just to keep the mouth moist. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Okay, thank you. Um, so... Um, uh, another question for Dr. Cracciolo. Um I was recently diagnosed. What can I expect at my first doctor visit? So uh, recently diagnosed with thyroid cancer after an FNA was done. 
um, the discussion in the office visit after doing an examination, right? So the first thing uh, that people usually will do is take a history, understand how the nodule was found, get an understanding of the pace of growth, which is often uh, very slow or not growing at all. Then get an idea of those, some of those worrisome symptoms if they're present, like voice change or difficulty swallowing. In those settings, some people will look at the voice box to see if uh, there's any effect of the thyroid cancer on the voice box, although that would be extremely unusual. Then they do a physical exam. And then usually we'll talk about treatment options. And so the treatment options, as I had mentioned earlier, for very, very small nodules, maybe active surveillance, but more likely surgery will be discussed and the extent of surgery should be considered. And so that's really what to expect usually on a first visit. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and, um, and then what I'd like at this point, oh, there's one more question we could take. Um, So um, I'm going to give this question to Dr. Misikowitz. Um, um, mm -hmm. Can you say more about uh, cabozantineb? Um, has it been used when debrefenib has sure. stopped working? Is it preferable to lenvetamib after sure. Sure. Uh, debrefenib sure. has the second line treatment? Yes. Sure. So I'm going to I'll walk you through um, the problem. So as of now, it obviously can vary from country to country. So I mentioned some things that many times what we do, we check from a mutation. And I didn't mention the BRAF mutation. The reason that I didn't mention the uh, BRAF mutation is not because it does not exist. It's actually very common. The reason is that there is no FDA-approved drugs as of this moment that we can use. They are commercially available. We use them in melanoma. So we have quite extensive experience. What we do know is that they do work thyroid cancer. But obviously, this is only reserved for patients that they have this mutation. As of now, cabozatinib is not approved in second-line settings. It probably is going to take a little bit of time. I think giving lenvatinib is a reasonable option, even though I would say there is not enough data. Lenvatinib was tested in two settings. Lenvatinib was testing in patients that never received any treatment, and then Vasi was tested in patients that they received sorafenib, meaning the different drugs that you just mentioned. But I think it's a reasonable option in second-line settings, and this is, as of now, the only commercially available option, but the cabozatinib can be considered. They probably are equally effective. They have similar side effect profile. Um, I don't think so that anybody can say that one is better than the other, a uh, few things take into account. Sometimes they have unique toxicity. And if this unique toxicity, let's say that one of them is going to cause cardiac problems, if somebody has cardiac problems, it shouldn't be used. So I would say to your medical oncologist, if it's going to decide between those two, taking all those things into account, I think it's going to be a reasonable option. But at the same time, I don't want you to forget about clinical trials. I will still look for any clinical trials for metastatic thyroid cancer that have this mutation, and you may find something that's going to be maybe even more innovative. So that, this is how we handle this. 
Excellent. Thank you. I want to thank our speakers. You've really been phenomenal. Um, I also want to ask each of our speakers to um, provide a, just a takeaway point um, that you can take from this program um, so that I'm going to um, start with Dr. Cracciolo um, for the first, just, to, just a takeaway point that you'd like people to take with them um, at the end of today's program. So uh, what I would say to take away is that thyroid cancer most commonly is very, very treatable, curable, and uh, in the era of uh, COVID-19, there sometimes could be a delay either in diagnosis or surgery, but most of the time people still do very, very well, and so uh, I wouldn't have that add an, an extra layer of anxiety or burden. So thyroid cancer, extremely curable. Excellent. Thank you. And Dr. Masikowicz? Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a side comment. You don't know what kind of thyroid cancer you have until it's gonna be biopsied. Because in this range of different thyroid cancers, there are very rare but aggressive cancers. So don't be afraid to talk to your doctors. And you have three of us here, two two of us here. Uh, so don't be afraid. And there is another platform such as Televisit. And obviously, there are a few things that can be done remotely. There are a few things cannot. But don't be afraid to wait. If you are in the situation that you don't want to travel because of the COVID-19, schedule a televisit. We're going to do our best to help you. And use this platform because it can be extremely helpful. And I would say don't be afraid to talk to your doctor. Please do not neglect your symptoms or concerns. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. And, and Ms. Bearden, that's an excellent point, Dr. These are wonderful takeaways. Thank you. And Ms. Bearden? Just stay in touch with your healthcare team on any questions you have. Utilize um, all the resources that you have available and look for information from your healthcare team as your primary, as your primary resource rather than trying to figure out, it out on your own and, um, and just bring your questions and concerns to them first. Excellent. And I'll just add, as Carolyn Messer, just a takeaway in terms of just realizing that although many of you feel alone because of uh, because of COVID and, and social isolation, um, we want you to know that it is normal to feel alone, but we also want you to reach out um, through telemedicine, telehealth appointments, um, contacting Cancer Care, and there are many other, we'll be giving you other organizations as well that you can contact to speak to someone. We don't want people to feel as if there's no one there to help them. And your healthcare team is there for you, as I think most of our doctors have said, Ms. Bearden has said this, they're here to help you and will work with you in the best way possible so that you can get the help you need. So I want to thank you all for your participation today. You will be getting a SurveyMonkey evaluation at the end of the program, um, and we will add some additional resources for you to have as well so that you can keep them at your fingertips to contact um, when you're feeling that you really need someone, you know, you really need some help. That's all I can say. And, and your healthcare team, I think, has been pointed out, is a large team of people. It does include your surgeon, your oncologist, your um, dietitian, your um, oncology nurse, your oncology social worker, um, and many other members of that team, pharmacists, and many other members of that team that really can be extremely helpful to you, financial advisor. There are many, many people on that team that can help you. So again, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone, have a great day.